Hi, everyone. Just a reminder that this show is not legal advice, trading advice, financial advice, or personal advice. Enjoy the show, and thank you very much. Yo, yo, welcome to Crypto 101. This is Matthew Aaron, and today we're going to talk about smart contracts. Now, smart contracts are like all the rage, all the buzz. You see different people talking about Neo, Ethereum, Quantum, all these different companies are coming out saying we're going to do smart contracts. But what does that mean? And are they really smart? With this episode, I'm going to try to be as unbiased as possible. But during my research and everything I found, I've definitely come to take a side of what they're good for and what they're not good for. But before that, please go to Crypto101Podcast.com. There you can do many things. You can find our Facebook, our Twitter, our Instagram links. Join the conversation. Come talk to people that are in the crypto space to learn, to explore, to share ideas, and, well, discover the future of technology and blockchain. Become a patron. The patrons, like I've always said, are the backbone of the community. They have always been there to give us a little bit of support when we really need it. I got a couple of surprises on the Patreon page for you patrons, so please go to the Patreon page and check it out. Don't forget to check out our YouTube channel, Crypto 101 with Matthew Aaron, for roundups and my opinions on all the episodes that we put out. Also, make sure to subscribe to us on CastBox, SoundCloud, iTunes, Pocket Cast, or anywhere you get your podcasts. Leave us a rating and a comment. It helps us immensely. And don't forget that ICO 101 with Aaron Paul is showing up in the Crypto 101 feed. Now, without further ado, we'll see you after the show. First, smart contracts are basic if and then conditional statements. If you do something, then this happens. And I'll go into more examples in the future. But first, let's talk about where did smart contracts come from first. And they were first proposed by Nick Zabo in 1996, but I also heard 1994. So between 1994 and 1996, Nick Zabo has proposed smart contracts. Now, Nick Zabo is, I think you heard his name first in the Douglas Pike interview. And um, he is a pioneer in this industry, blockchain, cryptography, digital currency, e-money. And Nick Zabo is a computer scientist, legal scholar, and cryptographer, known for his research in digital contracts and digital currency. He graduated from the University of Washington in 1989 with a degree in computer science. He also obtained a law degree from said university. Uh, Nick Zabo designed a mechanism for decentralized digital currency, he called BitGold. BitGold was never implemented, but has been called a direct precursor to Bitcoin architecture. In Nick Zabo's BitGold scheme, and I don't like the word scheme because it sounds bad, but a participant would dedicate computer power into solving cryptographic puzzles. In a BitGold network, solved problems would be sent on the Byzantine Fault Torrent public registry and assigned to the public key of the solver. Each solution would become part of the next challenge, creating a growing chain of new property. This aspect of the system provided a way for the network to verify and timestamp new coins because unless a majority of parties agreed to accept new solutions, they couldn't start the next puzzle. So this is actually very much like Bitcoin or the idea. Of course, it's different now, but you see where this is coming from, the evolution. Uh, So this was basically Nick Zabo. Another interesting fact of Nick Zabo is in 2008, a mysterious figure who wrote under the name of Satoshi Nakamura released a proposal for Bitcoin. Nakamura's true identity remained a secret, which led to speculation that in a long list of people speculated that Nakamura could be Zabo, but Zabo has repeatedly denied it. So Nick Zabo, and I almost am ashamed to admit that I didn't know who this person was before Doug Pike introduced him on the podcast. And now that I've been researching who he is and learning more about him, he's important. And I think Crypto 101 is going to do a whole segment on Nick Zabo because of just how important he is. And I think it might take two episodes because the dude has done everything in this space. But I'm going to move on for now. So what is a smart contract? Like we said in the beginning, it is an if-then conditional. And so let's take this example. Let's say we're going to hire somebody to shovel our snow. Wintertime is coming up. Sometimes you get the plow. Sometimes you guys get the guys with the truck with the plow on the front of it. Sometimes you got some kids, you know, 
with a wagon and that's full of shovels and they come over to your your, your doorstep, knock on the door and say, hey, you want to shovel? You want us to shovel your driveway? And you go, all right, give you five bucks, kid. Let's just take that situation. Let's just say little John comes over to shovel the snow. The situation is little John is going to shovel Pat's snow. So the contract could be read, written. If John shovels the snow, then Pat will pay him five bucks. Maybe another line would be, if John shoveled the snow by 5 p.m., then Pat will pay him 100% of the money. If John shovels the snow and is late by one hour, then Pat will pay him 80% of the money, and so on. If this is a normal contract, problems that could arise would say, you know, hey, you know what, I was just kidding, or, you know what, I don't have the money right now, or, uh, you know, I don't think that, or how, actually, I think it's worth four bucks, or you got done faster than I thought. I'll give you three bucks. Well, the conditions were, if John shovels the snow, Pat will pay him five bucks. If John shovels the snow by 5 p.m., Pat will pay 100% of the money, and so on. So you see how that there's going to be less room for debate in the smart contract. It's going to be a conditional statement and an agreement between two people, leaving out the middleman. So in a smart contract, an asset or currency is transferred into a program, and that program runs this code. And at some point, it automatically validates a condition, and it will automatically determine whether the asset should go to one person or back to the other person, or whether it should be immediately refunded to the person who sent it or in some combination of the different options that, that are in there. Now, this is a quote from Vitalik and uh, what he says a smart contract does. Now, remember that this is going to be a P2P sort of agreement. Right now, you have different things in place that you kind of use a contractual agreement for person to person, kind of like Airbnb or Uber. You have person A calling an Uber. The Uber driver, person B, comes, picks you up, and drops you off. Upon completion, he marks, I dropped him off. You mark, dropped him off. It's done. The Airbnb app, which is the third-party escrow account then transfers the money necessary in completion of the action now what smart contracts want to do is they want to take uber out of the equation so uber doesn't have to be involved so for example there's different blockchains and coins out there that are trying to make decentralized platforms things like bit shares um, decentralized exchanges um, or kind of off offer the same kind of idea Imagine an Uber built off of a decentralized exchange, or I'm sorry, a decentralized company. And now everything is fine, it's set up there, but this network of P2P individuals are now in, in contracts with each other directly through the blockchain. Now, if you're direct, in direct contact with a person to try to do a service, then a smart contract would be kind of needed or necessary because we are now taking out the trust of this said third party, but now we are just communicating with the driver driver take me here he takes you there if the driver takes me there then i pay him five bucks that is a smart contract why are people excited about smart contracts what are the benefits well as nicholas cornell professor at wharton school of business says there are two primary reasons why people are excited the first is about gains in efficiency anytime you can automate a process and remove the human element there's a possibility of transformative increases in efficiency and reliability. Just think about what computerization has done in other areas of our lives. Second reason, as Nicholas says, people are also excited about the possibility of remo removing human institutions, in particular government institutions, from an important function that they are currently playing right now. Right now, contracts depend on a legal system administered by a government. This requires trust in a coercive and fallible authority. So for the same reason that Bitcoin enthusiasts are excited about the prospect of currency without a government, smart contracts enthusiasts are excited about the prospect of contracts without a government run legal system. So let's imagine a real situation, a tenant and landlord relationship. So the tenant is renting an apartment from a landlord. Let's just say it's a thousand bucks. And now that person doesn't pay their rent one month. The landlord then has to sue them to get paid. They can call the cops. The, the person says, you know, I'm not leaving the house. Then they sue the person for the court to get involved. The person goes to the judge, the tenant, 
and says, I didn't pay because my child was sick. I used all the money for rent this month on medicine. The judge finds this to be a good reason and then allows the tenant to pay in monthly installments. However, the landlord isn't happy. Now, this is what's happening in the current system where there could be so much gray area for the payment to be done. And this is what happens when you have interpretation of the law. My, my kid was sick, therefore I didn't pay rent. Well, you owe me a thousand bucks. This is what I do. This is my livelihood. Judge says, well, we have to buy the kid medicine. So therefore, let's have you get paid in the installments. Let's say 10 monthly installments for the next 10 months. The landlord's like, come on now. The, the tenant just says, I promise that I'll pay plus every month rent from this point on. Landlord isn't happy. However, this is the system kind of that we could live in right now. Now, let's look at the other side of this. Let's make a smart contract for the rent. If it's the fifth of the month, then tenant pays landlord $1,000. That money is in escrow. Sorry, not in escrow, but in escrow-ish tied up in the blockchain with a commitment for a set funds to be paid every month. There's nothing that you can do to get out of that because it's already there. However, this situation takes out the humanity of it. The rent is paid regardless of the situation because the money is already staked. It reminds me of like kind of the movie Elysium with Matt Damon. And, he, and in this situation, he goes to see his pro, parole officer. I don't know if anybody ever seen this movie. But okay, here's the situation. Matt Damon is going to work and he's standing in line. And the robot police officers, and remember they're all robots at this point. And the robot police officers, his parole officer in the future is going to be also a robot. And so with the way that they react to these situations reminds me of a smart contract if-then situation and how the humanity is taken out of the equation. And I don't think that's a good thing. So the robot officers come over to Matt Damon's character on his way to work, harass him a little bit. He makes some jokes. The robot cops say that he's being disorderly and break his arm. That is now going to be filed into his permanent record. So it, it seems as though the cops would have like an if-and-then sort of conditional smart contract. If Matt Damon makes jokes and it sounds disorderly or disrespectful, then I can take action. The cops took action, broke his arm. Maybe it's a little overboard, but who knows? That's not the protocols we're talking about. If Matt Damon is on parole and he violates conditions of his parole, then he has consequences. So if Matt Damon violates his parole, which is in this case, the violation is getting involved with the cops or having an altercation with the cops or being disrespectful, then consequences happen. So in Elysium, Matt Damon then goes to the parole officer. And this clip is going to be linked in the description below. Uh, he goes to the robot parole officer and the parole officer says that you got into an altercation with the cops. And Matt Damon says, oh, let me explain. I made a joke. They overreacted. The parole officer, who is a robot, says, well, if this happens, I mean, he didn't say that, but you can see that this is how it's working. If the altercation with the cops happens, then I have to add time to your parole, which he did. Matt Damon then gets frustrated. And you can see that with his, with his eyes and, you know, everything, his voice. And you can see that the parole officer probably has an if-then statement. If Matt Damon raises his voice above 75 decibels, or if Matt Damon has high heart rate, then it looks as though he's getting agitated. If Matt Damon gets agitated, then I will take action and offer him a sedative. If he doesn't take the sedative, then I will tell him to calm down. If, and you can see how this is going, and there's no personal human con, you know, contact here. And at the very end of the scene, he says, would you like to talk to a human? And, and Matt Damon is like, no, I, I don't. And kind of mocks the robot parole officer in like a computer voice. No, I will not like to talk to a human. And the robot then senses his kind of condescending or mocking tone. Then he offers a punishment. So... This is how I feel smart contracts to be. And you can see that even in this situation, that it's going to be disproportionate to who can validate or fight smart contracts and the gray areas of these smart contracts. 
who has the time, who has the money, who is the one that's disenfranchised by, you know, whatever system that's going to be uh, implemented. The other thing that we put into smart contracts here is, yes, it's if and then. But how do you combat certain language? How would a smart contract handle something, a language that's vague or subjective? How would you say to the best of your abilities or your best efforts or I promise to put my best efforts into completing a task or goodwill or due care? How do you define something like goodwill, best efforts or due care? And who interprets it? Who is the interpreter of best efforts, due care? Now, interpretations is actually a really interesting word. How do you interpret nonverbal implications? Let's take an example. Let's just take the example of little John coming up to the door to say, I'm going to shovel your driveway. And Pat says, okay. So if John shovels the driveway, then Pat will pay him five bucks. If it's done before five o'clock, Pat pays 100% of the money. And little John, he's not shoveling shit, man. This, this kid is smart. He pulls out a flamethrower, starts flaming the whole driveway, melting all the snow. Pat comes out. He's like, what the hell are you doing, little John? And he's like, well, there's no more snow. You owe me five bucks. Well, you know what? Pat didn't like the means. But who's to interpret that? Another example. Let's just say you, you tell somebody, hey, I'll race you for a kilometer. And they're like, okay, cool. First one to cross the finish line wins. One guy starts running really fast because it was implied that they're going to run. We kind of both know what he means because this is, I will race you. And when people say that, you kind of like, and you know, if you're standing there, maybe in the park or whatever, and you know, it's just implied. We're going to run. Maybe they're both standing there with running gear. Well, the other guy takes off running. The other guy sees there's a carnival right next door, hops into the cannon, and shoots himself over the finish line. Lands there, breaks a leg, says, hey, I won. And you're just like, what the f... But that's not what I meant. Smart contract. Who determines that th those means were the end? Now, do you have to write that in all the contracts? Is it possible to have a smart contract that implies the implied meaning or the nonverbal contingencies? Can you write a smart contract for all those means or nonverbal contingencies to meet that end. Another issue with smart contracts, in the law, some contracts are just illegal, like contracts to kill your mother. Sorry, don't want to talk about anybody's mother or killing anybody's mother. Hope nothing bad happens to anybody's mother and everybody lives forever and ever and ever. But it is illegal to make a contract, and it's not enforceable by law, to have a contract that is illegal. However, if this is a smart contract, who is to determine that that contract is legal or not legal? And where's the, the line where it is legal and it's not legal? So I was thinking of an of a example of social media algorithm to help determine its legality. For example, let's use playing a concert. You have a band. You go to some you know local spot. Concert has a couple hundred people in there. And to determine if this contract is fulfilled, they put an algorithm on it. And let's just say that algorithm is just to see what happens over social media. And people are, are tweeting or putting on Facebook, and they're putting things like, good show, loving this band. They played for three hours straight. And all, by looking at all of these different things they put on social media, they go, okay, the contract is fulfilled. The band walked off. They played for three hours. Everybody's in consensus that this was a great show. Something had happened. The contract is fulfilled. The band gets paid. Now, what if the social media is riddled with different terms such as slang? And some slangs are more popular than others these days. And they say something like, they killed it. They dropped a bomb on the audience. They murdered that show. Now, colloquially, we know it's a win for the band. By the context, we, we kind of get it. Even if it's just those sentences, they killed it. They dropped a bomb on the audience. They murdered that show. We get it. Can the smart contract understand that? And does that just void the contract? because of the legality? Or does the contract not care if they dropped a bomb, really, or murdered everybody in the show, and they just are fulfilling it? Oh, well, they were there. They showed up. It's ended. Done. Other problems with smart contracts is being on the same blockchain. 
our smart tra- contracts are going to be able to be cross-blockchained. So, f- for example, you have Ethereum, and you're on the Ethereum blockchain. Well, whatever. what happens if somebody else has another blockchain? And this guy's using Ethereum, this guy's using, you know, whatever, whatever other smart contract blockchain out there, NEO. And are they compatible? Who knows? I guess maybe if you just have to you start using Ethereum blockchain, but it could be problematic. Minor, we'll think about it. Also, is it too transparent? Remember, these contracts are going to be on the blockchain. So people can see them. People can see them just like, a, you know, a ledger. You know, this guy has uh, this many Bitcoin or this bit much Bitcoin is sent to this place or blah, blah, blah. You know, it's distributed. People can, you know, figure out what's going on. Now, does that make it too transparent where everybody knows too much about X, Y, or Z business and it doesn't make it competitive because not everybody sees these contracts open in the blockchain? Those last two problems, to be perfectly honest with you, in my opinion, I saw them on a website uh, and I think that it was dated 2016. I don't think that they're that big of a problem, but they mentioned them. So I'm going to put them out there. Now, the way that I think smart contracts are going to come out, because remember, they're going to be P2P. And just like having an HTML, you know, website back in the day, or even I think, I think it was MySpace, we would do this. It's but to change everything, we needed to know a little bit of code, a little bit of HTML. So if I wanted to change the color of my MySpace and pimp my page, I would have to add in HTML codes to my MySpace profile in one way or the other. And then I could have my purple background with some bedazzled shit. And, you know, I don't know, whatever you're going to pimp your page with. If you guys remember, pimp your page. I, I just remember that now. That's that's awesome. But it was too complex for the average person still. Imagine building a website before all of this where you actually had to write your own code in. Eventually, it came to where these codes were just kind of like generic and people would just cut and copy and put them in. You want a purple background? Purple background. You want this fault? Cut and copy this code and put it there. Now, if you have something like Wix, making a website is easy. You just press purple and it turns purple. You want to add Visa and MasterCard and Bitcoin payments? You just add the plugins. If you want to do this, that, or the other thing and work with Amazon, you add the plugin. If you want to do these analytics for your website, you add the plugin. So I kind of feel that uh, blockchain and smart contracts will get to this point eventually where these systems are set up through the evolution of building on, on top of one and another and another and another over the course of many years that we would just be able to take phrases and throw them into our contracts or they'll have generic contracts for any kind of contingency. And so I don't think that a lot of these issues will be Will, will arise from these scenarios. However, the human factor will be taken out and the humanity will be taken out eventually of these contracts in these relationships from, from paying rent to ride services and, and, and whatever because these contracts will be so cut and dry, kind of like the Elysium parole officer situation that I told you a little bit ago where Matt Damon was just trying to explain, but the smart contract doesn't allow for explanation doesn't allow for creative interpretation and how do you do this in a system in especially business where everything is so fluid and so gray and what if the the conditions of the contract changes you know i've been in many situations where you're talking with somebody about business and just a good example is being in a bar you're in a bar with somebody you do business with you start the night at dinner and you guys are okay with everything you next you know have four or five drinks and you're talking and things change. Things just change because you guys got drunk. I had to understand each other's situation a little better. And now, what do you do? In a verbal agreement, it's very easy. It's amended through that time. You wake up in the morning and go, hey, man, it was good talking to you. So we're going to do it that way? Yeah, we're going to do it that way. Okay, cool. I'll, I'll drop the paperwork. Now, smart contracts might be a little more difficult to avoid, to get out, to manipulate, to change. And I would like to see how that's going to progress in the future. Um, anyway... That's my thing on smart contracts. A couple of pros, cons. I have more cons because I think that the technology and the idea is just so new. And for me, it's kind of like driving driverless cars. We have so many questions about the possibilities in the whole gray area of driverless cars right now. We have no clue what's going to happen. But, you know, eventually there will be driverless cars on the road in mass. 
These situations will arise. Legislation will come up. The human factor still has to be in there. The legal system will still have to be there. And there will still have to be a trust system or a trust in our legal system, at least for the time being, at least for the next 50 years, until these smart contracts start getting so adopted and so flexible that they do start replacing the legal system. And same with thing with the smart cars. We're going to have to have a good legal system to legislate on all those contingencies that will happen. And one of those things with driverless auto automobiles is kind of like the situation where they keep telling you a kid jumps up into the middle road. The car has two choices to hit the kid, kill the kid, or to veer off the road and fall off a bridge, killing your family. Which one do you do? Now, they're both horrible situations. They're both horrible choices. However, these are real choices. Something jumps in the middle of the road, it could be a kid, and you have a choice. The, actually, the car has a split-second choice of what to do. Go straight, hurting the kid, saving your family, or veering off the road. Which choice does the computer make? And who says the computer makes which choice? And which choice are, is the driver com comfortable with? Maybe some drivers would veer off the road because they're not going to be responsible for that. And maybe some drivers will go straight because they're not, they're not going to you know, put their family in danger. But who makes that choice? And I think that there's so many gray areas in this whole new automated kind of future. We have no clue how it's going to evolve. And just because of those many uncertainties, there's so many more cons than there are pros at this point. Anyway, that's the podcast on smart contracts. Thank you very much. If you remember from our smart contract episode, we had some questions for smart contracts. Doesn't a smart contract take the humanity out of transactions? What happens about the implied intentions of a transaction? And can you put into code or into a smart contract ideas such as due care, due diligence, and goodwill? Our guest today, Amy Wan, asked those same questions. Amy Wan was a partner in a law firm and decided to quit her law firm to open Bootstrap Legal. And Bootstrap Legal is a company that is addressing those issues with ICO law and smart contract law. Amy Wan has been called one of the top 10 women to watch in the industry. We are honored and very privileged to have Amy Wan on here, chew the fat, if you will, about ICO and smart contract law. It's a very interesting conversation. She brings up amazing points in it. So please enjoy this conversation. Hi, Amy. How are you doing? Welcome to Crypto 101. Thanks so much for having me. Amy, if you could, could you just please start us off by telling us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. So my name is Amy Wan. I'm founder and CEO of Bootstrap Legal, which is a legal technology startup. I guess my story is is a little bit interesting. So I live in Southern California, out in LA, and ended up going to law school thinking I would be a human rights attorney. Well, that obviously has not happened. <laughs> basically did a human rights internship when I was in law school and basically found out that human rights law does not cross borders. Mm -hmm. But I found out that money does, right? And so I ended up following the money for my career. When I finished law school, I concentrated on international trade, so worked for the federal government. Mm -hmm. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. 
And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details doing WTO type stuff for a while. Then when I moved back to LA, I became general counsel at a real estate crowdfunding startup. And, you know, all this ICO stuff that's happening right now really is essentially a subset of crowdfunding, right? Um, So did that for a couple years, then was partner at a law firm. And then something happened. I just... I got to a point where I was writing the same documents over and over again. I thought, gosh, if I have to do this for the next 30 years, I I don't know if I'm going to make it. <laughs> so <laughs> I left the partnership at my law firm and started Bootstrap Legal, you know, where we are now. And the first product that we released was a product that automates the drafting of real estate, private equity fund, crowdfunding documents, syndication documents. Basically, I automated myself, right? Mm -hmm. And as we were looking into what other verticals we wanted to expand the software into, that was around the time that the SEC dropped their Dow press release that basically essentially said that ICOs are securities. And so Mm -hmm. a lot of the law firms raised the price of legal representation on an ICO or an initial coin offering. Oh, wow. Suddenly there were really good margins. So I looked into automating ICO documents and ultimately ended up not doing that for a lot of different reasons, but stumbled across a huge gap in the architecture of the crypto space and that's in smart contracts, right? And so essentially, we pivoted the company. That's what we're doing now. We are creating smart contract solutions to all of the smart contract vulnerabilities. Right on. Can you just give us a one-on-one, what is a smart contract to start? Sure. So let's let's talk about a regular traditional written contract first, Ooh, okay. and then we can compare it to a smart contract. So at least under common law, which is like, you know, American and English law, a contract doesn't have to be written. Mm -hmm. It can be a napkin agreement. It can be an oral agreement. A contract is simply offer, acceptance, and consideration. Consideration means like, you know, someone is paying something, right? One dollar can be consideration. Basically, you're giving up something, Okay. okay? So that's basically what a regular contract is. Now, a smart contract is basically a traditional contract, Mm -hmm. except it is in code. And because it's in code, it has a couple special features, right? So those special special features are that it is self-executing and it's immutable. So -hmm. what that means is, you know, to the extent it's immutable, you can't change it. To the extent it's self-executing, it's really just like an English contract, except it's got some execution mechanism built in, mm-hmm. right? So if what we does go that mean, back, execution so, mechanism, right? So if you go back to 1994, mm-hmm. the guy who invented the concept of smart contracts, his name was Nick Sabo. He gave a couple of examples of, you know, the potential smart contracts, and what he said was. Think of a vending machine, right? I mm-hmm. put a dollar into the vending machine and I press, you know, A4. A4 is for a Coca-Cola bottle. 
And so it's self-executing. The Coca-Cola bottle falls down and I get my Coke. If you want to bring that one step further into, you know, the potential of smart contracts, the other example he gave was, I have a car, I want to rent it to you. Mm -hmm. We enter a smart contract under which you get to drive this car so long as you make these monthly payments. Now, if you were to default on a monthly payment, then suddenly the smart contract knows it self-executes and you are locked out of the car. So that's it. Because it's written in code, it basically is essentially a set of if-then clauses, right? Mm -hmm. If you do not pay, then you get locked out of the car. So we see that there's benefits to the smart contracts. What are some of the negatives that you can see in this? So smart contracts, the name might be a misnomer because there are ways in which these contracts are not very smart. Think about it, right? The perfect lawyer, you can't say that the perfect lawyer can sit there and write you a perfect disputeless English contract. Mm -hmm. And I don't think either that you can say that a coder can sit there and code for you a perfect, errorless, disputeless smart contract. So smart contracts are subject to coding errors, right? And you know how developers code. They're like, oh, fail fast and we'll iterate, right? Right. Uh, So there's coding errors. There are vulnerabilities. Basically, a decentralized fund raised, what I think, like $150 million last year. Mm. And they said code is law. All the entire agreement for this decentralized fund is like our Bible is this smart contract. And so they had all these rules, mm-hmm. except that a hacker was able to hack the smart contract and basically drain the 50, 60 million dollars worth, you know, funds. And it's not that the hacker violated the terms of the smart contract. He didn't violate any of the if then clauses. Mm-hmm. What he did, though, was he violated the intent of the contract, right? There was Hmm. a vulnerability. He found a loophole. And so he basically, what he basically did was he made that self, that smart contract execute multiple times simultaneously. So he was able to drain the funds. Hmm. Now, in law, we have this concept called equity. Mm -hmm. Equity means fairness. Like when you enter into a contract, what did the parties intend, right? And so that's why we say, the DAO was a violation of the intent of the contract. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of the day, the truth is, and I say this as an attorney, right? We're like the janitors of of human beings. We're the ones who have to like clean up all these terrible, messy situations. You know, human beings are the most creative species on planet Earth. (laughs) They they sit there long enough, they will find a loophole, right? right? And... The truth is people change, people are fickle, but also, you know, situations change. And so right. I, I do genuinely think that people will need to modify, amend, and terminate their smart contracts. Mm-hmm. One thing I always think about with smart contracts is that fluid relationship that you have with people when it comes to making these contracts. And um, in my smart contract episode, I don't know if you listened to it, was about a conversation in a bar. And while you're getting drunk or having drinks with your business partner overnight, you are constantly amending this contract. What are some use cases that a smart contract could have that it will be very good for, opposed to some that you think that just won't work? Right. So I agree with you. I think there are there is a time and place for smart contracts. And then there are definitely situations where it doesn't make sense. I think, for example, that smart contracts are very good, for example, in supply chain, right? They offer a lot of potential. They'll be really great in financial services. They also have a lot of potential in small financial microtransactions. At the same time, however, I can't sit here and pretend like I can control human behavior. Mm -hmm. One cannot say, oh, a developer is going to sit there and code very carefully and that they're only going to code smart contracts that are the best use case, right? And so my company right now is working on a smart contract solution to all these different limitations that I mentioned earlier. I can't sit there and say, well, developers won't code these 
these smart contracts. But what I can do is at least provide a safety net because I think what technology does not account for is human nature and human behavior. Mm -hmm. Could you tell us a little bit about why did you make the company and where do you see the company going in the future? Yeah, sure. So, you know, I, I covered the problems of smart contracts earlier, right? Coding right. errors, vulnerabilities, and then people change their minds. So what we're doing is we are writing SDK. You can think of it as one line of code. SDK. I would say, yes. Uh, well, think of it. Okay, let's let's not get technical. Just think <laughs> of it as a uh, the code version of an arbitration clause, right? Mm -hmm. um, in that it's modular, it's written in code, and you can take it and plop it into your smart contract, kind of like you can take an arbitration clause and pop, plop it into your traditional English contract, What is right? a typical arbitration clause say? Uh, there's many different types, but basically it is an agreement on how you are going to resolve disputes. Okay. So you can say, oh, we are going to arbitrate in this venue, we're going to have this many arbitrators, we're going to limit discovery okay. so costs don't get out of line. It's a procedure on how you resolve disputes. Okay? okay, I understand. You plop this one line of code into your smart contract. To the extent the smart contract is executing the way everyone intends, that's fine. Like, no one cares. But if it starts executing in a way that the parties do not intend, then you can trigger that code and it essentially acts like a freeze button, right? It freezes execution of the smart contract. Then it kicks the entire thing into a dispute resolution marketplace. Mm -hmm. And I can get into in a second why we're not a dispute resolution service provider. Mm -hmm. But then for a lot of logistical and cultural reasons, the entire thing sits on a borderless digital jurisdiction. And the reason why is because there's so many logistical hurdles, right? Like, for example, in the US, if you have a dispute with another party about your contract, you have to go to court, file a complaint, and serve it to the other person that you have a dispute with. Right. Smart contracts are very often done pseudonymously. That means you don't know the identity of the other party. If you don't know who the other party is, how are you going to serve them with the complaint? You don't even have access to the traditional court system. Right. And even if you can get across all of those logistical hurdles, mm. you know, have fun explaining to your lawyer, a judge, and a jury, right. all of whom think that anything Bitcoin or blockchain related is inherently fraudulent or illegal, <laughs> have fun explaining your smart contract to them. Oh, by the way, they can't read it because right. it's in code and less than 1% huh. of the population can actually read code. So Very now you have to go hire an expert witness to interpret the contract for the judge and the jury. There's just there's so many problems. So we are basically creating um, a private jurisdiction that is crypto community friendly by the crypto community for the crypto community. And it's meant to bring the dispute resolution process on chain. What we're trying to get at here is this. Um, today, smart contracts are still so vulnerable. I remember over the summer on my social media channel, right? You would see all these ICOs coming out and in the first 15 minutes, they would get hacked two to $3 million and the mm. founder would sit there and shrug their shoulders and be like, oh, well, sorry, there's nothing that we can do about it because it's immutable. That doesn't happen in the real world. If you lose $3 million in the real world, you get sued. <laughs> right, yes. Um, so what we're trying to do here is I, I honestly believe that smart contracts will not gain in adoption unless and until you can help users achieve transactional confidence. Mm -hmm. If they're entering into a smart contract and they don't know what the end result is going to be, they're playing roulette, right? No business person in their right mind is going to transact not knowing what the outcome is going to be. If you can ensure transactional confidence in the outcome, then people will start using smart contracts a lot more to actually transact. Mm -hmm. Do you see a future where the average person will be sitting around writing smart contracts? Mm, I or think you, that's very difficult because most people don't actually know how to code. I was always mm -hmm. envisioning a sort of like, you remember MySpace yeah. and how you wanted to pimp your page and you would take 
HTML code and say if you wanted it purple, you would cut and copy your HTML code into your MySpace and then it would turn it purple. Yes. Do you think that smart contracts in the future could be like that where I'm just sitting here and I want to make a contract with my brother because he brought a thousand bucks and I copy and paste this smart contract code and make these contracts that are held up in, in a court of law? So there are smart contract template companies out there today that are oh, basically, are. yeah, they're writing smart contract templates for people to use. Mm. The only issue I see is that you have to go back and kind of look at, okay, well, what happened when we created legal, you know, traditional contract templates, right? So you go look at a company like LegalZoom, for example, or today, quite frankly, you can go and probably Google any template of, you know, any common contract that you want, right? And you'll probably get like hundreds of hits on Google. The problem is not the template. The problem is that the templates don't often say what the parties actually intend, right? Sometimes you have to change the template to actually fit your particular circumstance. So, you know, if I am a marketing service provider, right, mm -hmm. I'm taking this template off of Google and repurposing it for my use. If I did that with a smart contract, I'd just be copying the code. But what if the template says, okay, I will invoice you in 30 days and you pay 30 days. And after that, it's a, I don't know, 5% late fee, mm -hmm. but you actually want to be paid up front. Mm -hmm. How do you do that? I'm sure people can come up with modular solutions. We're not, I, I don't think we're quite there yet. But we, but we could be maybe in the future. We could be. I, I think that people will still need to hire, instead of lawyers, maybe developers to sit there and modify their smart wow. contracts for them because they will need to adapt it to their use, especially if it's self-executing and immutable. You know what I mean? Right. Wow, that's so if interesting. Yeah. If it doesn't actually reflect your intent, you're kind of screwed. It seems almost like coding and, and, and development is going to be the, the new English, the international language that if you're a lawyer, you better know how to code. You know, it's so funny. I I saw someone post on the on social media the other day. They were like, you know, you used to hire an attorney and pay them a lot of money to find a loophole in a contract. Now you hire a developer and pay them a lot of money to see if they can hack a smart contract. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's funny. It's true. I was just talking to uh, Joey Krug of Augur, and he's doing the same thing right now in testing Augur. He's like, I just hired a lot of developers, and they're just sitting around trying to hack my, my platform. But so here's the thing, right? And you, you often see this in traditional law as well. Um, sometimes you can't predict everything that's going to happen. Mm -hmm. And the truth is doing that would be like if I'm an attorney and I write a traditional contract and I give it to 10 other attorneys to review, still doesn't mean there's never going to be a lawsuit, right? Right. Um, if you hire a lot of, you know, if, even if you do security audits and bug bounties, that only shows you the presence of bugs, but it doesn't guarantee you the absence of bugs. Right. With this conversation, there's a lot of companies involved now. Like, so you have a company and I don't take this the wrong way, but you have a company. There's companies making smart contracts. There's companies making platforms that we can make smart contracts. But this whole blockchain movement is about P2P. <laughs> But now it seems that we have P to company to company to company to P, and it's the same as before. Are we getting out of the spirit, or is it just inevitable that there has to be people in the middle? Look, that's a great question. I don't think we are trying to be middlemen at all. But here's the thing. The and not you and Zendro. This is definitely not an attack against you. Oh, or, no, 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 no. Just Look, a general question. Yeah. question a lot, right? Oh, okay. Um, I, you know, I, I think there are are a lot of technologists and developers out there who are enamored with technology and think that it can solve all of the world's ills. But the truth is that human nature is so fickle and unpredictable 
that it's really, truly hard. Let me give you an example. You know, I, I told you in the very beginning of this podcast that Nick Sabo, one of his, you know, he, he's done incredible work, right? One of his seminal examples was the car rental example. Right. You know, if you look at that, you might think, wait, this is like a great idea. Like, I don't have to do collections anymore. It's so easy for me to rent out my car, Right. Except I come from a world where we have to clean up everyone else's messes. Mm -hmm. So when you tell me about an example like that, my question is, hmm, okay, so where I'm coming from and what I see people do, if someone is renting this car and they know they're not going to be able to make the next monthly payment because maybe they're out of money, maybe they lost a job, whatever, they're going to vandalize the inside of the car. Mm. Or when they get locked out, they're going to vandalize the outside of the car. Mm. Or what if their credit card expired? They weren't trying to default, but you locked them out of the car anyways. And now they're angry. Or what happens if they lost their job? They can't pay. The smart contract's going to self-execute. But guess what? We're in the middle of a great recession. Everybody has lost their jobs. This is a luxury vehicle. I can't rent it out to anyone else, so I'm not going to be able to make money in this market. I would rather that renter keep the car, maintain it, hopefully owe me back payments. Hopefully one day I will be able to collect some money for renting out this car rather than none, right? So I don't want that smart contract to self-execute. I was talking to a supply chain, like, blockchain project yesterday and you know they were like what is the use case where do you see what you guys are building come into the equation and you know there's there's so many things that you can't predict right like let's say you have something being shipped from asia to you know port of long beach in los angeles that's one of the largest ports in the u.s right Mm -hmm. well guess what the Union workers, the port workers are on strike and the boats are just sitting there in the harbor and they can't get the port. So you actually end up diverting the ship to another port or something like that. Right. Right. Like you don't know that workers are going to go on strike or let's say you're shipping some you're shipping fabric from Asia to Hawaii. Mm -hmm. The ship sinks or. Hawaii, there's another volcanic eruption and Hawaii no longer exists. What happens? Because not only do you have that smart contract, (laughs) you've got the smart contract from the fabric guy to guy in Italy who's going to turn these into suits. And then there's a smart contract from, you know, the clothing maker to the department store. What happens down the chain, right? You're going to need something when something in the system fails. Right. I lived in Hawaii. I'm a graduate of University of Hawaii. Please, no volcanoes in Hawaii. <laughs> um, <laughs> the the human aspect of these contracts, and I think that that's so interesting because you cannot take humanity out of this situation. It's not even about the guy not paying his payment on the car and locking him out. It's about what if his kid is sick and he needs to get the kid to the hospital. It's like yeah. these situations that could be so robotic that it takes the humanity out of the situation. But with that said, it's also very cultural. And I'm wondering how the smart contracts are going to deal with the cultural aspect as well. Like the humanity aspect, we and you agree, you, it's impossible to take that out. But what about the cultural? Because the values that the Americans have about locking that person out of the car and say somebody in China might be totally different. I think those are things that as developers writing these smart contracts, they're going to have to take that into account. The interesting thing is, yes, like there are cultural differences in every country. At the same time, the crypto industry, I feel like there's this very interesting phenomenon going on. It's almost the acceleration of globalization, right? Mm. I don't think I've ever worked in an industry before where it was truly so global. Like I remember um, a couple weeks ago, we were starting to put out our product. We were taking our calls and then Thanksgiving hit. 
Mm. Even though it was Thanksgiving in the U.S., I st- I forgot to block out my calendar on, you know, that Thursday of Thanksgiving. And people scheduled calls with me on that Thursday because they were calling from other parts of the globe, right? right? Yeah, um, exactly. This week, I had to I had to stay up late and take a call, two calls from Australia. Right. And then I get, get up early in the morning to talk to someone in Europe. Like, it is, <laughs> you know... Crypto is a very, very global thing. Right. Um, and I think that's that's very interesting because I think that's kind of where our borderless jurisdiction comes in, right? Like we're not here to, for example, assign cultural values or supersede the patchwork of local laws and regulations. But at the same time, I believe that if businesses want to do business, there does need to be some sort of framework or baseline of rules that everyone agrees to so that we can all have predictability in whatever we're transacting, right? And business is a very, very global thing. If I give you $50 and you're supposed to give me 50 of whatever, I expect you to deliver and you probably expect me to send you that $50. It sounds like with this globalization that we keep talking countries, we say, you know, cultural, there is cultural aspects, there's human human aspects, and we keep saying China, the United States, from Asia, from <laughs> Europe, and these things. Is cryptocurrency and people like you that's thinking outside of jurisdictions going to make its own jurisdiction, the global law, the blockchain law? Are we going to just start cutting countries out? I don't think you can cut countries out, but I do think that in the past one to two decades, in general, regardless of crypto, right, you have seen kind of an erosion in the power of nation states or sovereignties. I mean, just look through history, right? In, you know, a couple hundred years ago, nation states didn't have that much power. A lot of it was in religious centers, the Catholic church, this church, that church, right? Mm. Nowadays, it's been nation states in the past two decades. You've seen these non-nation states rise to power, right? Groups like ISIS um, or Al Qaeda, you know, they are very powerful, especially in some sort of like region, but they're not actually recognized as a country, right? Mm -hmm. Look at the United Nations. Uh, Presumably, they should have some influence or power, but they're an organization. They're not a nation state. So things have become increasingly interesting, I think, over the past couple decades, especially with the the rise of the internet. Which blockchain companies do you think have the best future for smart contracts? Neo, Ethereum, Quantum? (laughs) Well, um, if you look at a lot of the different protocols, some of them do support smart contracts, others do not. Um, Ethereum is definitely one of those blockchains where they have a very active um, developer ecosystem. People are actually making use of it. Like a lot of ICOs, for example, are done on the Ethereum blockchain. So, you know, that's one place um, where I think it's very vibrant, especially with like Solidity smart contracts, right? At the same time, I like to look at verticals. And so if we look at what verticals would be interesting for smart contracts definitely supply chain i -hmm. think in certain areas of financial services this may be interesting as well insure tech is another area that i i think smart contracts have a lot of potential in but i don't think a lot of the insurance companies yet have become totally comfortable with the idea of this self-executing thing Amy, thank you again for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Crypto 101. On our next episode of Crypto 101, we're going to walk down memory lane. We're going to go through the history. We're going to just see where we started, where we went, and where we're going in our year anniversary mashup episode. It's going to take us a little time to put this one together, and I'm going to be traveling for the next couple weeks. So there might be a little bit of a gap between our newest episodes and this episode. We will be putting some rebroadcasts out in between, and we're sorry if you heard the episode, but some of them are really good. Yeah, might as well listen to them twice. Well, thank you very much for listening, and thank you for your patience during my travel time. 
Before we go, like always, ApogeeCrypto.com, A-P-O-G-E-E Crypto.com, the best place for your real-time prices, CryptoNews.com for your news, and we will see you in the next episodes of Crypto 101. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.